invite you to turn with me to the Word of God this morning. First of all, to Psalm 27. I want to read the verses 7 through to the end of verse 14. So 7 to the end of the psalm. beginning to read at verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Would you then also turn with to Math to Mark chapter five? Mark chapter five. And there I want to read the verses 21 through to the end of verse 36. Mark chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 21, and we continue to hear the word of God. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter (coughs) lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking... Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And now the words of our text are framed in this next verse. 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Salem with me this morning. Faith is a gift of God. We know that. The scripture clearly teaches us that the granting of faith is entirely of God's prerogative. It's not something we choose to receive at an altar call, nor is it something we can get at a revival meeting. It's not something we inherit from our parents. It's not even something that we can learn in a class, a catechism class, a Bible class. No, faith is a gift of God, which he sovereignly grants in his own electing love, using as instrument the word of God, and primarily the preached word of God. And several proof texts clearly teach us that faith comes from hearing, and and as our catechism teaches us so clearly in Lord's Day 25, faith is created by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we all knew that. Faith is created by the Holy Spirit, working through the word preached. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. However, taught us with equal vigor in the Bible is the fact that once having received that gift, the believer is then required to demonstrate the genuineness of that faith through an obedient exercising and disciplining of his or her faith. In other words, the Bible teaches us of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. To put it in another way, God grants faith, but it is required of the believer to learn to live out of that faith. Once having granted faith, God then places each member in certain predicaments where he calls them to learn to demonstrate the reality of their faith. And that's not always easy, especially when we're faced with hardship or uncertainty, and yet that is precisely what the Bible teaches us. God wants us to know that when sickness or death confronts our home, when unemployment or financial difficulties trouble us, when a business or a crop fails and we are faced with financial ruin, when prodigal children stray from the faith, or when a marriage seems to crumble, then we are to remember that nothing comes to us by chance, but that everything, even the difficulties of life, are friends to grace and are designed by God to help us on our road to God. And that's what we want to see in our text of this morning. And so I want to administer God's word to you this morning using as my theme the discipline of faith. The discipline of faith. And we will be taught, first of all, to wait upon the Lord. Secondly, we want to learn of the need to wait upon the time of the Lord. And finally, we want to discover the necessity to wait upon the word of the Lord. So the discipline of faith, waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the time of the Lord, and waiting upon the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing. As our text opens up, we're introduced to a certain Jairus. And we know very little about this man other than that he was a leader in the New Testament synagogue. And in our text, we find him standing among a gathering mass of people pressing (coughs) around Jesus. In great haste, he had forced his way through the crowd in order to speak to Jesus. 
<coughs> and we can almost picture him in our minds. And if, and if we look closely at him, we could see an expression of great anxiety on his face. And having read the story as Mark records it for us, that doesn't surprise us. His little girl, his precious daughter of 12 years old, the apple of his eye, the sunshine of his life, has fallen seriously ill. And despite all efforts at healing, as this father stood anxiously by her bedside, her life slowly but steadily ebbed away. Despite the love and the care of the child's family and whatever medical help may have been available in those days, death approached the house of Jairus. And in his great despair, Jairus remembered that Jesus, that great prophet of Nazareth, the prophet who had miraculously healed so many others, was in the area. He had heard of the great miracles that this prophet had performed in the lives of others, and perhaps, 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 there was still hope. And so he, he leaves his daughter's bedside, and with urgent haste, he makes his way to find this man, Jesus. Congregation, think with me for just a moment of the great obstacles that had to be overcome by this man before he could find his way to seeking Jesus for help. We know this father was a leader in the synagogue, and so he was a Jewish leader. He was a man of great authority and stature among his peers. In other words, he was a Pharisee. While Jesus, on the other hand, was the Nazarene, and Nazarenes were, were hated and resented by the Pharisees. And so among his own peers and contemporaries, it would have been considered treason for this man, this leader in the Jewish synagogue, to go to Jesus for help because Jesus and the Pharisees, they were enemies. Christ was a threat to the self-righteous Pharisees. Imagine with me the intense struggle that must have boiled in the heart of this father as he weighs his decision in his mind. However, once having, once having made his decision, probably motivated by his intense love for his precious child, we now see him in our text at the feet of Jesus. And we hear him in the words of our text. Jesus, my little daughter, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands upon her that she may be made well and live. Jesus, my little daughter, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands upon her, that she may be made well and live. And what we hear is an expression of a certain faith. And note carefully, when I use the word certain in certain faith, I'm not saying that Jairus had saving faith. What I'm saying is that Jairus is convinced that Jesus can help. He's also convinced that only Jesus can help, but he's not yet convinced that Jesus will help. He, he had faith in Jesus' ability to perform miracles, but he was not necessarily convinced that these miracles were being performed by the Son of God. And there's a huge difference. Whether or not Jairus was ultimately saved or lost, that question would gladly leave to God. The point here is that we see that it will be required of Jairus to demonstrate the genuineness of his faith. Indeed, we don't know if Jairus was ultimately saved, but this much is apparent from our text. Jairus is convinced that Jesus, who has cured so many others, is able to cure his precious, precious child. And now, it is legitimate for us to observe also that we detect a certain amount of 
oh, if, if I may say it this way, superstition mixed in with his faith. We take note that Jairus believes that Jesus must come and lay his hands on his daughter in order to heal her. Apparently, Jairus has not yet understood that a simple word of Jesus would be sufficient to effect the miracle that he is longing for. But nevertheless, in his request, we do detect a certain faith, and that comes to expression in his belief that Jesus can heal his his dying daughter. His hope for healing is in Jesus. Only Jesus is able to help in these circumstances. If only Jesus can reach the home of Jairus while there is still time, come, lay your hands on her, that she may be made well and live. And now notice with me the response of Christ. We can almost feel the elation in the heart of this man when he hears that Jesus answers his plea and and then sets out with him. He sets out with Jairus to go to his home. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus can save my precious daughter. We need to hurry, Jesus. She was failing fast when I last saw her. Oh, if there only might be still time for you to lay your hands on her and heal her. But as Jairus would soon learn, faith is not always that simple. Many today would have us believe that all we need to do is believe and that all manner of prosperity is ours. Everything will be going your way. Simply believe in Jesus and then name it and claim it. It's all, and that all manner of prosperity awaits you. And that's a popular concept among contemporary Christianity. But it's not the language of the Bible. Faith in order to be true, faith in order to be true and strong must be exercised and tested When a man or a woman, even a child, comes to know Christ, then difficult things are taught by Christ and must be learned by the Christian. And what needs to be learned, first of all, as Jairus was about to discover, is that we must completely and ultimately empty ourselves of any self-confidence. We must give up any notion of trusting in our own strength or our own resources or our own ability. In other words, in other words, true faith demonstrates itself in understanding that apart from Christ, all is lost. My dear precious people of God, the way of the Lord is often mysterious to, to us. However, this much is revealed to us, made clear to us, and is necessary for us to know. In strengthening the faith of his children, God often draws them into the darkest night. He often brings them to the brink of utter despair. He brings them to their knees in order to convict them and convince them, first of all, of their own inability. And it is of that way of the Lord that our text of this morning speaks. Follow this with me. First of all, Jairus is taught to wait upon the Lord. Return with me to the text. Jairus has anxiously gone to Jesus for help. Jesus agrees to go with him to his house. There is great haste. We hear that in the words of our text. My daughter is at the point of death. You must come and you must lay your hands on her. However, before they even had opportunities to leave the pressing crowd, we read that a woman having suffered much for 12 years, interrupts them. We read that she seizes the opportunity to touch his cloak and in the hope that she too would experience his healing power. And then Jesus stops and turns and says, Who touched me? 
And at this point now, even the disciples get involved and we, we, we can almost hear their frustration. We can almost hear that in their voices. Come on, Jesus, look at this crowd. Look at this crowd of people pressing upon you from all sides. And now you want to know who it was that touched you? Undaunted, Jesus scans the crowd. And the woman comes forward, identifies herself, and explains her actions. And Jesus shows compassion. Woman, your faith has made you whole. And now, congregation, pay close attention here because a superficial reading would cause us here to miss the most important element of the central message given us here. You see, on the surface, we would say, here we were, following the discussion between our Lord and Jairus. And just as Jesus was about to leave, just as he is about to heal the dying girl, we're suddenly interrupted by this woman seeking healing. And these two incidents are totally unrelated and disjointed and now disjointed the, the, the circumstances. But, 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 that's not so. That's not to the contrary. Oh, no, the woman is actually an instrument given by God used by God to test the faith of Jairus. Capture this with me and then stand in amazement with me as we ponder the marvelous way of the Lord here. Try to imagine with me the emotions coursing through the heart of this father as he stands in the crowd waiting for Jesus to finish with this woman who had so suddenly interrupted them. We can almost read his mind We can almost feel his anxious impatience. If we were to be standing next to him in that crowd, we could probably hear him saying under his breath, Jesus, my daughter, there is haste, Lord. Remember the words of our text. My daughter is at the point of death. You must come. Precious moments are ticking away, Lord. And with each passing moment, her chance of life is ebbing away. Make haste, Lord. Send this woman away, Lord. She's been suffering 12 years already. A few more days won't hurt or matter. She can wait till tomorrow. Tell her you have an emergency here, Lord. My daughter, Lord, she's dying. People got to see now here the testing of the faith of Jairus. Jairus is brought by Christ to a point where he must wait. He must wait upon the Lord. Jesus insists that Jairus capture the spirit of the psalmist as that is recorded in Psalm 27. We read it together this morning. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. And now comes the real test of his faith. His world is becoming ever darker in his waiting. Help is so near and yet so far. If only, if only the Lord would hurry. We can't wait, Lord. She's dying. A difficult lesson, congregation, isn't it? Many of us can relate to such a time as here being felt by this father. Lord, hurry. There is no time. If you don't hurry, Lord, it will be too late. Dear people of God, it happens to us so often as we weave our way through the complexities of life. If you don't intervene quickly, Lord, it will be too late. I can identify with Jairus, can't you? I'm sure many of us can. And now, tragedy strikes. His fear, his worst fear is realized. While Christ is still speaking to the woman, the messengers find Jairus in the crowd. 
He has probably seen them coming. And we can imagine the terror that clutches his heart. He sees his servants looking for him. And he fears his worst. And his world caves in when he hears those words, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Jesus had tarried. And now it was too late. Your daughter is already dead. The faith of Jairus is being tested. Tested people of God. Jairus' faith in Christ is shaken to its very foundation. Why didn't you act, Lord? Why didn't you hurry, Lord? You knew there was haste, Lord. You knew she was dying. You knew there was no time. You promised to help me. You spent all of your time talking to this woman who was already healed. She could have waited. Too late, too late, too late. Why, Lord? Why? Why? But now notice carefully with me precisely what is happening here. The testing by Jesus becomes temptation by Satan. Satan sneers at Jairus. Why bother the teacher any further? There's nothing more he can do for you now, man. Forget it. Maybe he can heal the sick, but your daughter is dead. Forget it, man. It's too late. Leave him alone. Don't bother him anymore. And people of God, unless you're much different from Jairus and also much different from me, you can identify with what's happening here. When we are in great need and we have pleaded with God for deliverance and rather than help and rather than the help that we had expected and hoped for, the situation becomes even more hopeless. And it is at such times that we are confronted with a great crisis in our faith life. For you see, it is precisely at such times that Satan finds receptive soil in our sinful fallen hearts. It is in those times that Satan whispers in our ears, he hasn't heard your prayer. He's not going to help you. It's too late now. Why do you even bother anymore? Stop your prayers. He's deaf to your needs. He doesn't really care about you. Why pray? What good did it all do you? My dear people, God gathered with me in this place this morning. The faith of Jairus is being put to the supreme test. And that will be the personal experience of every true child of God. Oh, undoubtedly the faith of one is tested more severely than that of another. But, and many factors are involved to determine that. And all of those influencing factors are still under the control of a sovereign God. But this much stands firm and must be remembered by us as we walk our way through this life. All true faith will be tested and must pass through the refiner's fire. And it is through such testing, testing that becomes temptation, that true faith is purified, refined, and strengthened. It is through such testing that the Lord himself brings us to precisely where we need to be. He requires of us, first of all, to understand that apart from him, there is no hope. Congregation, the psalmist says that the Lord leads his children to quiet waters and green pastures. And that's true. But along the way, the sheep are threatened by fierce wolves and bears and lions seeking to devour them. And the sheep are then called to trust in their shepherd. 
And that's what we're taught here. We cry out, hurry, Lord, the wolves are gaining ground. And the Lord says, wait. But there's no time, Lord, the wolves are, the wolves are, there's no time, but the wolves are here. And the Lord says, wait, wait. But the bears are at my very door, Lord, wait. Oh, how difficult. Oh, what's more, the Lord insists of us in such circumstances. Not only that we wait, but that we wait quietly, patiently, trustingly upon the Lord in the full assurance that in his time he will rescue us. My dear precious people of God, God does hear our cries and he does come to deliver us. But deliverance will only be in his time and only in his way. And undoubtedly, such waiting does not come easy for us. And, and yet it is required of us all. When things go so far different from what we think is necessary for us. When the storms rage all around us. When darkness envelops us and when the rising waters threaten to consume us. When God tests us and Satan tempts us to then still obediently wait and trust in the Lord, that does not come naturally nor easily for us. But that is what the scripture wants to teach us here in our text of this morning that is being required of us. We anxiously cry out in our darkest night as life becomes ever more difficult. And we see ourselves surrounded by the wolves seeking to devour us. And we know the shepherd is out there. And we call out to him for help, but he doesn't come. And the darkness deepens. Then terror clutches our hearts. Where is the shepherd now? Has he forgotten me? Is he blind and deaf? Can he not hear me? Does he not know my anxiety? Can he not hear my cries? Does he even really care? And all the while the Lord tarries and Satan works his destruction and we are taught to wait, wait upon the Lord. But remember this with me. Although he tarries, he will come. No child of God is ever beyond the watchful eye of the good shepherd. People of God, when the darkest clouds have gathered, when the situation becomes terrible or hopeless for you, and when it's even unbearable for us, when we then in our human weaknesses are inclined to capitulate to the temptations of Satan, then, especially then, God reminds us of the words of Psalm 147, 147 the Lord heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who trust in his steadfast love. That first of all but even more is required in the exercise and the discipline of our faith a second discipline necessary and in <clears throat> conjunction with the patient waiting is trusting in his word these two attributes have an indissoluble connection which can't be severed you see it is, it is the trusting in his word that affords the Christian the ability to wait patiently upon the Lord in order to understand this return with me to the text See there, see there Jairus again. For him now the struggle of his faith has climaxed into a crisis. <clears throat> For him now, now that his daughter has died, the temptation is to abandon the Christ and to run to his home. I need to go home. I need to go home. I need to comfort my wife. I need to bury my daughter. I need to make funeral arrangements. 
I have wasted my time. There's nothing left for me here. Those thoughts would have crowded his mind. The agony has filled his soul. But now listen to the words of compassion offered by the Lord to this grief-stricken father. Jairus, Jairus, do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And we need to read those words carefully. We need to read them in their context and we need to let them sink down deeply into our souls. Do not be afraid. Only believe. We need to understand what Christ has done in speaking these words. Follow this with me. This biblical truth and concept is urgent here. You see, the servants of Jairus had spoken the words of unbelief seated by Satan. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher any longer? But pay close attention with me now. We continue to read, but ignoring their words, Jesus says to Jairus, do not be afraid. Only believe. Do you hear it, people of God? Do you understand the battle being waged here? The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are locked in mortal combat here. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are locked in mortal combat for the possession of the soul of Jairus. Christ had read the questions tearing at his father's heart and Jesus is acutely aware of the temptations of Satan that now threatened to take his heart captive. And Jesus sees and understands the crisis in the current situation. And then Jesus springs into the breach. He deflects the fiery darts of the evil one. He speaks to to Jairus the only words that will give him the necessary strength to persevere. Do not be afraid. Only believe. In other words, words, Jairus, stick with me, man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do not be deceived by the temptation of the evil one. Do not run away because all is not lost. Stay with me. Watch and wait. Trust in me. Leave it in my hands, Jairus. According to the parallel account in Luke chapter 12, he even adds the words, Your daughter will be made well. In other words, follow me, Jairus. Do not be afraid. Only believe what Jesus is saying is what is impossible with men is possible with God. My dear precious, precious people of God gathered here with me this morning, take now a moment and apply these principles to your own hearts and lives. How often has not the Lord asked the same patience of you? How often has God not tested your faith in some similar fashion? Many of us have experienced illnesses that perhaps would not heal. Many of us have tasted the death of loved ones. Some of us have had to bury loved ones, sometimes even a precious child. Many of us have set certain goals before us only to see them fall apart in our hands and shatter at our feet. We had expected, for instance, to to retire comfortably from our job and suddenly the plant closes and we're unemployed and our pension is gone. We had hoped for prosperity and we've been given adversity. We had hoped to receive acceptance of a call of a minister, and yet he declined. We anticipated victory, and instead we suffered defeat. We've expected a warm reception from our fellow man, but instead we experienced rejection, slander, and humiliation. Think with me then of the emotions that arose in your own heart at times such as those. I can identify with the storms 
raging in the heart of this father. Can't you? My dear precious, precious saints of God, in this context now, remember the words of the Apostle James. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy, says, says the Lord. And that would be the experience of Jairus. Follow, the, follow this with me. When we return to our text, we read, When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult of people weeping and wailing. Apparently the funeral was already in full swing. The mourners were already wailing loudly, and yet, and yet, and yet, Jairus, Jairus had believed. He had followed that long road home, walking in the footsteps of his master. And at the end of the road, Jesus raised the child from the dead. And in so doing, he revealed himself in all of his glory to Jairus and to the entire world around him. Congregation, Jairus had passed through the deep, dark waters. Ever darker was his fear, and yet he cast his lot with Christ. His hope was in him alone, even in his darkest hour. And now God revealed to him the glory of the Lord. And my dear precious people of God, in this, this way, this marvelous way, mysterious way of the Lord with Jairus is the normal way of the Lord with all of his own. Oh, he doesn't promise to raise our dead children back to human life on this earth, but he does promise to bless temporally and eternally our patient, obedient waiting upon the Lord. These are lessons to be learned by us, hard lessons indeed, but lessons that must be learned by us nevertheless in the disciplining of our faith, waiting upon the time of the Lord and trusting in the word of the Lord. To you and to me now, is given the commandment to demonstrate these same two attributes. If we hope to show the world that there is peace at the cross, when we then that must come to expression in our conviction that despite the difficulties of life, we stand firmly on the promises of God. Congregation, we need to bring it home for a moment. We need to apply it to our hearts. Let me ask you now, when you found yourself surrounded by raging storms of life and you cried out to the Lord for help and when the Lord tarried and Satan said, what's the use? How did you respond? Did you become anxious, perhaps even inconsolable? If so, you have dishonored the Lord and you have done a great disservice to your unbelieving neighbors. <clears throat> God requires that come what may, that come what may, we are to resolutely follow Christ in faith and in trust. When our world seems to crumble all around us, even then, our unbelieving neighbors need to see in us that we are different from them because we believe and trust in a God different from theirs. When we are afflicted with great hardship and our unbelieving neighbors see us falling to pieces and becoming inconsolable, it, then our witness is compromised and we have dishonored the Lord. Only when, despite the trials in life, only when we stand strong, 
confidently waiting upon and trusting the Lord. Only then is the name of the Lord glorified and the faith of the saints edified. Anything less than that is a demonstration of unbelief. May God make each of us into men and women and even children who are not afraid of life's circumstances, but a people, a people truly believing who demonstrate their faith by trusting in and waiting upon the Lord. Shall we pray?